I just wanted to tell you, uh, Jake really is as cool as he looks. I mean, <laughs> he is. He, he is cool. He's a real deal. Uh, we love Jake and uh, love what he's doing with our kids. So, uh, God, can wear his glasses around his neck like that and not look old. If I did that, you would just say, he's old. He needs glasses. All right? But Jake gets away with it. Hey, guys, it's great to see you. Great to be back. I missed you guys last week. I missed the family when we're not together. Uh, I really do. And uh, so it's good to, good to be back today. Uh, one thing I want to tell you before we begin, this is the time of year, uh, every year about this uh, time of the summer, we start the process of, of looking for our leaders, uh, elders and deacons for next year. And that's kind of part of, of uh, this, this month. So if you have suggestions, just real quick, uh, our deacons are the folks, uh, the guys who uh, provide for our needs. If anything gets done around here uh, and to help you more comfortable in the service and, uh, and help you individually, our deacons have probably got hand uh, fingerprints on that. Uh, some awesome guys that serve uh, to our, at our church, both during the service and, uh, and out uh, in the, uh, through the week as well. Uh, so uh, that's what our deacons do. Our elders are the ones who provide oversight for our church and direction. Uh, I am a part of that team, and I'm also under that team. They are the overseers of our body and protect us. And uh, we're looking for uh, people, mature leaders for those uh, roles as well. And if you know people that you might want to suggest, it's a, a kind of a lengthy process of uh, just review and prayer and seeking and, and training uh, that culminates in a, an approval in the end of the, of the year. Uh, you can see me. You can see one of our current elders uh, Gary Mitchell, Dan Spradlin, Robert Brock, and give those uh, nominations, or you can email us or whatever. But we'd love to have that uh, turned in. This is a very important part of, of our church family through the year. Well, guys, we are in our second week of a series called What If? And, uh, you know, as, uh, as I prepare for a message, I try to do these in advance, and uh, a headline grabbed my attention one day. Here's what the headline, the title of this article said, I'm a pastor and I want you to quit church now. And I, I got to read that because I don't know of a single pastor in my experience who would ever say I want people to quit church. But I thought, what in the world does he mean by that? But in the article, he talks about the current trends in church today, the state of the church, a passivity, a passive nature towards serving and giving and community outreach. Uh, the fact that regular attendance in church is down there's a real disconnect to the church in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, they may believe in God, but the church isn't where they're, they're, uh, they're showing their, their faith or commitment. And the church today, you know, if people don't feel passionate about something, we just don't do it. Or, or if there's something we don't like in the church, we just check out. And, you know, we can lead the church. Loyalty to the church just doesn't exist a lot in many people's lives. Many people say, I'm going to find a better church, a perfect church. And, um, and in many cases, they never find that church, and they check out a church altogether. If some spiritual practice doesn't fit our lifestyle, then we just ignore it. You know, that's just how people are today. But the solution of this author was, let's quit all of that. Let's quit church, not quit going to church, but instead choose to quit the casual way that we approach God's principles today. And he asked some questions like, what if every believer were to totally fulfill their God-given purpose and their God-given gift? What if we just use those for the church? What if every believer uh, fought for loyalty in the local church? And what would happen if we stopped simply believing and we started belonging to one another? And he says, you know, we need to quit doing church like we've been doing it 
and start living all in on generosity, serving, outreach, discipleship, and other biblical principles. And then he said, then we'll start enjoying our local church again, and we'll experience the blessings that God only gives to the people who are full partners with him. And so today, that article, I want to share that because that goes along directly with where we're at today. And here's the question I want to ask you today. What if we put God first? What if we just really, I mean really, put God first in our lives? And I have to tell you that I don't know of anyone, including myself, probably primarily myself, that really does that, who, who pull, fully puts God first. Now, the key word in the question, though, is the word first. And what does that mean? Well, we all know what first is, right? It means before everything else. It means uh, in regard to our time and order and rank, importance, significance, pr preference, that we really put God first. Let me just say that. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us unless we have made a decision, and that is to put our lives in his hands first. Because a lot of people may say, I believe in God, but God doesn't have a big role in their life. It's only when we determine that I'm going to give my life to God, and I'm going to do that by committing my life to Jesus Christ. That's what God wants first from us. That's the number one thing God wants. And once we do that, then we're called to literally put him practically first in our lives. Now, it's interesting to me that God knows us so well that God says, okay, I want to tell you how to do that. And I want to tell you how to do that in two areas that are most important to us. What are they? Time, you know the second one, right? And money. Time and money. If I want to know what's important to you, I can look at two things, your, your checkbook or your bank account, whatever, and I can look at your calendar. That's the way we indicate what's important to us. Those are the most valuable things we had. And God said, okay, I, I'm going to address that. And so in the beginning, he established some principles. And God said, one day of your week, one day is mine. We know that's true. We call it what? The Lord's day, right? The Lord's day. And we're getting away from that idea, but the concept is God says one day is mine. Now, do I have to spend all my time in church? Well, it probably wouldn't hurt anything on Sunday for any of us, but, but God said, I want you to worship me first. I want you to worship me first. There's a principle that God says, this is my day. Our world has stolen that day for itself, but God says, this is my day. Worship me first. And then God goes on to say, not only does your time important to me, but also your money is important to you, right? So I want to tell you how to use that money. And I want you to acknowledge me by giving some of it back to me. Now, it goes a lot deeper than that, and we're going to dig into some of that today. But acknowledging these two major areas in our life, acknowledging that time and money are important, is where it begins. It's where it starts. The reality is that all of us are going to put something first in our lives. I don't care who you are. I don't care what it is. Somebody or something will be first in your life. And whatever you put first in your life will show what you are worshiping and living for. Here's a really simple principle. What we love the most is what we will live for. What we love the most is what we will live for. You can tell what you love the most and what you live for and worship by what you do with your time and your money. You know, I know a gentleman. I've known him for over 20 years. And I've watched him throughout his life. He doesn't have a lot of time for God, but he has a lot of time for everything else. And I've watched him throw himself into certain events, activities, hobbies, uh, whatever it might be, some of them very expensive, very money and time consuming, 
just on a regular basis, one after the other, trying to find something. And they, at the time, are his biggest focus, involving a lot of time, a lot of money, but he never finds contentment. And the reason is because all the things that we put our time and money into here on this earth, none of them are going to make us content and satisfy. We can search, we can look, you know, we can try everything, but nothing we achieve here or gain here is going to bring to true contentment. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? It's pretty obvious to me he's talking about money. Even back in that day when people lived a hand-to-mouth sustenance, when they didn't know what they were going to eat today, when they woke up in the morning, money was important when they had so little. Now, you would think today when we have so com uh, comparably much that it wouldn't matter as much, right? But that's not true at all, is it? It really isn't true, because the reality is the more we have, the more it matters. I don't know why that is. I mean, I, I really don't. If you step back and totally separate it, why would having more, why would we worry more about it? But the reality is that's true for all of us. And living as a nation in a place where we live, a prosperous place, it is so true. You know, what Jesus is doing or calling us to is, is what we say, telling us that what we do with our money is important. And in fact, it is a spiritual decision. How we spend our money is a spiritual decision. And I'm, I think it's interesting that people will take their advice from the Bible about almost everything else. I know people who will stand on the Bible on its truth on everything, including eternity, heaven, and hell, but they do not believe that God knows what he's talking about when it comes to money. I've noticed that. I don't understand that. It's a mental block, I believe. But we're like, God knows everything except one thing, and that's about the thing that concerns us the most. Now, I want to tell you, we don't talk about that a lot, but we talk about it occasionally here. Now, it seems like a lot, doesn't it? And I thought, you know what? I wonder how much I talk about this. This is the first time I've talked about it this year, and we're in August almost, right? So we don't talk about it a lot, but it seems like it is. We do that because it's important. Amen. Here's the thing I want you to know. The church doesn't want your money. We want you to win with your money, and God's way will help you do that. And so let's talk about some Bible principle truths that the Bible has to say about money. Here's one. The Bible says no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Because money is such a big deal to us, the Bible says it actually can separate us from God. It can be the wedge that drives in our hearts that pull, pushes us away from God. We can believe God, trust Him in everything, but this one area can make us in Jesus' words, almost hate God because we love the opposite. He goes on to talk about and warn us about putting our confidence in, in money or in stuff. So here today, if you worry about money, who of us don't? If you're obsessed with money, if you place more importance on money than almost anything else in life, if you resent being told what you should do with your money, you need to listen to this. This is important because this is what God says 
about this important thing in our life. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink uh, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Isn't this practical? I mean, really? Isn't this what we worry about more than anything else? We worry about not having enough. We worry about running short. But what I think is interesting in our culture, in our context, is that most of us don't worry specifically about what Jesus is talking about here. You ever thought about that? How many of us truly worry about having food to eat today? Now, a lot of us are going to go out and pay more than we should to eat at a restaurant, right? And if we don't do that, we've got pantries full of clothes, uh, full of uh, food. We could live for a while in our pantry. I would like sometime, I told the Lord, I'd like just to eat everything we have up, you know, and see what, you know, before we bought anything else. And then we go to the grocery like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to get some new stuff, you know. But seriously, we don't worry about food. We don't worry about what we're going to eat today, do we? And what about clothes? Do you worry about clothes? Most of us have got closets busting forth with clothes. We don't have room. We can't force more in. We don't worry about what we're going to wear. And most of us don't worry about a home. A lot of us own our home. If we don't, we rent. We, we don't worry about those basic things, essential things. We worry about the luxuries in life. We worry about, are we going to be able to get this next big thing that we want? We spend our money on things and time chasing things that we don't even need. But let's get the principle that he's talking about here. Jesus said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Wouldn't it be great if we lived life like that? If we were obedient today and we let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. What Jesus is saying is that we have a displaced priority on things and that we need to reorder our priorities and seek him first specifically, I think here, in how we think about and use our money. And what Jesus is talking about is what we're going to call proactive generosity. Proactive generosity. You know, what I've noticed is that much of our giving is oftentimes reactive giving. Just like much of our spending is impulse spending, right? We didn't go shopping for something, but we see it and we have to have it. Suddenly, it's a necessity, right? But we didn't even know that until we saw it. You know, we're finding things we have to have. That's the market today. Find something you didn't know you need, but convince you that you have to have it above everything else. So much of our giving is similar to that in that we, we see a need and then we give to that out of emotions because somebody's really good at trying to pull that out of us or that we give out of guilt. And what I've noticed is when we give like that, we don't give a lot. 
You know, if I go somewhere and there's going to be an offering and I didn't know about it and I didn't plan, I want to tell you, I don't give a lot there. That's just how it is. I just, something I don't plan for, I try not to spend a lot on. I can't give a lot of that. And if I give, it's what I have left or what I've got on me. And that's how a lot of people give to God, to be honest with you. The giving to God is not something we think about it, we plan for, we budget, we try to give to God what is left. And how we give to God may seem like a lot until we compare it to what we spend on other things. Let me tell you, let me give you an example. Today, it amazes me what a vehicle costs. It amazes me, and that's really why I drive what I drive, because they cost so much, because I'm cheap, and everybody knows that, all right? But you know, it's nothing, I believe, to have a $500 monthly car payment, 500 bucks for a car. But for a lot of people, we will shell out 500 bucks a month because we can afford it, and we would never consider giving that much to God. I mean, I would never in our mind, my goodness, I could never do that. It seems so big in our car payment, we just, we do it automatically. It's just easier that way, right? That's our mentality because our money is controlling us instead of us determining what is priority and we, us controlling our money. And our culture tells us that we have to spend our money on the things that are the latest, the greatest, and to keep up with everybody else. See that thing in our mind that tells us and deceives us and lies to us. But putting, putting God first means that we let God tell us how to manage our money. And proactive generosity is the plan that God has. In verse 33, God says, seek first his, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first him, and you'll have the other things that you need, the necessities especially. And what I've discovered is most of the luxuries as well. Now, the Bible has a word for proactive generosity. You will not find that phrase, I don't believe, in the Bible. But the Bible has a word for proactive generosity. It is the word tithing. And I believe it's probably one of the mis most misunderstood words in the Bible today. What is tithing? What is that? Well, first of all, we're going to talk about what it is not. It is not. Number one, it is not a tax. Because what I've discovered is that we don't like to be taxed, do we? In fact, if we could vote against being taxed, what would we do? We would say, no, we don't want to be taxed. We don't want to be taxed at all. We don't want a new tax, whether we need it or not. We're not getting into that, all right? But the point is, many people would vote and say, no, we don't want to be taxed. We don't want that. And we can't think about tithing as paying a tax to God. God does not, like our government claim, God does not need our money to get his work done. He doesn't need it. It's not a tax. Secondly, it is not the leftovers. Not the leftovers. We're never going to give generously when we wait and we give what we have left after all the bills are paid. Now, i got to be honest with you. When, years ago, we used to do this. We really wanted, before we became really convicted about tithing, I'll, I'll be honest. We had bills, and, and I was the only one working. We have four kids. And you know what? We managed to spend everything we got. You ever do that? We're pretty good at that. We can spend everything we got. I, I promise you, if you can't spend it, I can spend it for you, all right? <laughs> we, we would spend everything we had, and then we wanted to give, and we couldn't do it. We couldn't give like we wanted to because we didn't plan to do that. God is not honored when we give him token gifts that are left over. God is not first when we put him last. 
And what I discovered is when you put God first, then somehow he multiplies it all. When we turned the principle around, it started like, I can't believe this. I cannot believe that we actually obeyed God first and we still have enough for us. That is something you need to discover. And the only way to do it is to put God first. Because when we wait to give what we have left, when everything else is paid, God will not get anything but a token. A tithing is not a bribe. We're not bribing God. We don't give to get something back from God. If that's your mentality, change that. Jesus, the, Jesus said that's how the pagans treated their gods. They would try to appease the gods. Give me something back. That's not how we think about that at all. Tithing is not a fundraiser for the church. Somebody didn't say, hey, I got a great idea. We need money. Why don't we ask everybody to give one-tenth of our income to raise some money for the church? No. We don't give to keep the lights on, or we don't give to pay staff to put on events and programs. We don't do that. And we might host a fundraiser every now and then for a very specific ministry. For some reason, we try to limit those. But here's the thing. We don't want the world to think we're trying to fund the church's mission with their money. We try to really control that. And, and there's a lot of great ideas to do that. But we don't want to do that. We don't want to take from the community. We want to bless the community. So we really want to be cautious about that. When a church has to survive by raising money and bake sales and car washes, that's how they fund their budget. They're in trouble. Let me just say that. So those are some things that tithing is not. What is tithing? Well, let's talk about what it is. First of all, it's the first one-tenth. The Bible has a principle early, very early on about first fruits. You bring your first fruits to God. This is how we give to God, the very first thing we have. Why? Because the first fruits are always the best. Leviticus chapter 27, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. Did you get that? It belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. So we give of everything that we have. We give a part of everything that we have. Also, the tithe is not just a gift. I've heard people say, well, I gave my tithe. Well, you know, it was a, just a small gift maybe to them. Tithe is not just a gift. It is a measurement. That's what the word means. The word means one-tenth of what we have. It's the first one-tenth. The tithe is also God's plan for providing for his people and funding his mission. See, the church is God's people on the earth. And God could provide everything. Remember, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He's not in shortage. We got to help God out. No, God uses the proactive generosity of his people to accomplish his mission and work. And in turn, if we partner with him, he promises to bless us as his church. And the biblical pattern is that the total tithe, one-tenth, is brought to the church, not divided into various different charities. You know, I have people calling me a lot. Now, and what I've noticed is the more you tell them no, the less they call. You know, that's, that's just how it works. Um, but I tell them, you know what, we give, we give a lot, but we, uh, we give to the church. That's how we give it. In Malachi chapter 3, it says the tithe is to be brought into the storehouse, which is the church. There is no organization in the world that, that uh, is better or can match the effectiveness than the local church. That's where we ought to give. Wherever you call home, give to that church. Give to that church. Many charities do great things, but I will tell you that a lot of them only give pennies on the dollar to truly help people. 
a lot of those people who call you up will have a heart-rendering need. They're being paid, and only 15 cents on a dollar might be actually given to the people they're asking for. And that's unfortunate. But be wise, be smart. The church's emphasis, our church, is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And everything that we do is pushed toward that mission. So when you give to the church, that's what the money is being spent for. Not only that, we believe that as I told you earlier, we were seeking for leaders in our church, elders and deacons. We ask all staff, elders and deacons to commit to tithe, to commit to the church, to lead in that example in order to help provide for the needs of our church family. That is why we're able to do things, to have uh, programming and facilities and staffing and, and just set up a structure to help people because of the generosity of people's giving. Not only that, a tithe is freely given, is freely given in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. What does God want? God wants us to give freely and cheerfully. Now, i got to be honest with you. There are times I have not given cheerfully. I wasn't all that happy about it. Like, oh, man, this, you know, because if you're tithing, it's going to be a sacrifice. Serious. It's going to be a sacrifice. And it is not going to always feel that great. I'm working on the cheerfully part. At this point, I'm pretty much there. But, but the reality is we don't always, but you know what? God will take it from a grudging person. But the reality is we want to give in that way. And if you're not there yet, here's what I'd encourage you to do. I would encourage you to think seriously about what you have, the blessings that you have, how much God has given you, and then think about how do I move forward in showing God and acknowledging that all things come from God. Here's the next thing. Tithing is regular. 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. There are a lot of people who will give every week, which is great, but a lot of us get paid every other week. And, and I think that's okay, too, as long as we're setting that aside and we're being obedient. They didn't have online, they, didn't, they weren't paid every other week last week uh, in the Bible times. Um, and we have a lot of online options. We set ours up uh, to be recurring, and I would encourage you to do that. Why? Because you know what? We weren't here last week. We weren't here last week, and for a lot of people, a Sunday, a Sunday like that is the day we just ignore that. We spend it on ourselves. And the reality is it's just smart. It's just a blessing to set it up to where it's recurring. If you want to do it online, that's helpful. Also, tithing is worship. It is worship. I think it is basic meaning. We come to worship, and part of that is to bring our tithe before God. If you look in the Bible, how many times does it say that they were in the temple and people were bringing their tithe and giving it to God in worship? Since money is such a powerful part of our lives and a tithe is a sacrifice, I believe truly giving is worship. We plan to worship. It's not an accident. I don't wander into churches and just go, oh, I'm, here I am. I guess I'll worship. You know, it's planned. We show up. We prepare. And we don't just all of a sudden give generously to God. We prepare for that, and we plan, and we budget for that. Not an accident. And this your thing. If you don't plan to give, then you, until the plate begins moving toward you, you're not going to give. You know, that's just how it is. Proactive generosity is what we're talking about. And here's one other thing, uh, two, a couple other. Tithing is a test. 
It really is a test, to be honest with you. In one way, it's a test for us. Will we be faithful in our giving? Will we do it? Do we trust God that much? Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In other words, why would God bless us with more if we are not faithful with what we currently have? Why would God do that? It doesn't make sense. God says, I see that. I know that. And money is so eternally insignificant. If we give faithfully here, God will give us greater riches. But you know what? It's also a test for God too. It's a test for us. Do I believe? Will I be faithful? But it's a test that God invites us to give to him. Will God be faithful? Will God be faithful to us? And Malachi chapter 3 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. You know, I, I know of a guy who, who is always worried about money and, and maybe always has a shortage of a good job and of money, but does not include God in his plans. And I have to wonder, is that why? Is that why it's always an anxious thing for this person? Because he doesn't trust God to provide for him. And then lastly, tithing is a way for God to bless us. 2 Corinthians 9 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, those, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So much scripture that tell us and address this issue of money. And what he's saying here is that when we're faithful to him, he's faithful to us. That we're going to reap what we sow. He will supply and increase your store of seed. The only person, you know, that can really provide for you more is God. As he blesses you more. And allows you to have these opportunities, and he will enlarge the harvest. He will be enriched in every way. And what he's saying is that when we are obedient, we put ourselves in the flow of his promises, and we can never, ever outgive God. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know what? Uh, the Old Testament talks about tithing, but the New Testament doesn't, doesn't tell us, command us to do it. And we're into the New Testament, right? You know, I want to tell you, uh, I, I think in Jesus' day, it was pretty much acknowledged because it had been taught throughout the Old. It's introduced in the Old Testament as the measure that already belongs to God. All these given to us. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus reinforces the tithe. He says, of course you give the tithe. But he said, you know what? You need to give more than that. You need to give justice as well. Not just the tithe, but justice as well. And I believe that if God required the tithe in return before he gave his only son, how can we say that he requires less of us after Jesus came? So if you're one of those people that struggles with the legality of the tithe being the standard, I guess I agree with you because it should be everything. It should be everything that we have if we were honest. But let's be obedient to God and what he says, and let's start in the place that God says he wants us to return to him. 
You know, I mentioned earlier that it's all in perspective, that, that we might struggle with a $500 car payment, but we would struggle giving that to God. And as I had just kind of arbitrarily, I guess, pulled that, that number out of the air, I, I, this morning I, I was putting the finishing touches, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder what the median household income is for Woodford County. And what I discovered is, honestly, we're the third highest county in the state. There's a couple more that, that, that are higher as far as median income. And our median income in our, in our county is 50 $6,000. And you're already comparing yourself to that, I know. All right, seeing where you are. But I thought that was really interesting. That was just a shot in the dark. But, but 500 bucks would be pretty close to a monthly tithe on that. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, how blessed we are. The Bible says that we should give in proportion to what we've been given. And what if we made God as important as the car we drive? What if we made God as important as the house that we live in? What if we made God as important to that random purchase that we made that we didn't plan to make, but we decided to? What if we put God first in our life? What if we said, God, I'm going to make one day of my week is your day. I'm going to worship you on that day, and then I'm going to enjoy that day, the afternoon with family or whatever it is. I'm just going to worship and rest. And we say, God, I acknowledge that you've given me everything. I'm going to give back to you like I've been blessed. What if we just did that? I wonder what would happen. I think I know that we would draw closer to him and we would receive the blessings that we've never experienced before. Because the only way that makes sense to put God first in our life is if we find the practical ways that really matter. Time and money matter to all of us. And when we do that, we discover how much God really means. This morning, I know this has been challenging. It may be a little painful, convicting. It may have even been offending. I get that. I really do. That's why I use so much Bible. It's hard to, hard to argue with the Bible, you know, if you're a believer. So I really want you to kind of know what God says about this. I want to encourage you to challenge you, test him. He said, just try me out. I, I want to do that. I want to take God at his word, and I encourage you to do the same thing. But first of all, none of this makes sense if you haven't put him first in your life. And that's the most important thing. So if you're here and you've never done that, I would love to have a conversation with you because when that happens, he transforms the heart inside and that's where it all begins. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your word being so clear that we don't have to make this stuff up. That God, we don't have to, you know, uh, imagine what you might mean that, that you're just so blatantly clear about this. God, thank you for being a God who is practical on the practical things of life. Thank you for being a God who knows our hearts so well that it's very convicting for us. God, I pray that we would just put you first. Simple as that. That all of us would acknowledge that you are our God and Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And that God, having made that decision, that you begin to transform our hearts on the important things, our commitment to you, including the spiritual decisions of money. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We pray all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.